This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, O Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Politics, politics, politics program for March 1st, 2023. Your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you in Austin, Texas. I'm in Austin, Texas now. By the time that you listen to this, I will likely be in the Bay Area, a region that defined my 30s because it's my birthday this weekend. I am turning 40 years old. I want to be a little self-indulgent here, but through my 20s, I pretty much split the decade between New York City and Florida. And both of them were, like you, I guess, are supposed to do in your 20s, was me taking a bunch of wild swings at, at things and just seeing whether or not... I like them, whether or not I can make a career. Now, I I immediately, after getting a degree in journalism, decided to go into the even more lucrative fields of sketch comedy and blogging and podcasting. But eventually, after making a, a, a little bit of a reputation in my 20s, I decided to move out to Oakland, California. And it was at my 30th birthday party that doubled as a going away party that I said goodbye to all my Florida friends and my family and I trucked on out to the Bay. And it was in the Bay that I spent, you know, all but the final year and a half of my 30s. It's a place that means a lot to me and I'm very, very excited to be there. If you happen to be in the Bay Area on Wednesday night, come see myself, Andrew Heaton and Jen Briney at the Piano Fight Theater Get tickets for that at eventbrite.com. But with all that being said, whenever you are at a milestone, my friend Brian Brush would always like to say that whether or not you believe that 40 means something, it is undeniable that there is something to the human experience that is attracted to round numbers. And be it on your birthday or on New Year's Eve or anything like that. Whenever we turn over a calendar, we tend to think about it. And we turn over a decade, we tend to look back at that. And so, number one, this will be the only uh, free episode this week. We'll be back to two episodes on the free feed next week. And number two, if I'm going to get thinking about the world, if I'm going to get thinking about society, and if I'm going to get thinking about where we are in the universe, you guys know uh, there's only one person that we have on this show, and that is the one, the only, Kevin Ryan. Uh, so this episode will be uh, with Kevin Ryan, where we're going to begin the conversation discussing his review of the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once. You don't need to have seen the movie if you want to uh, enjoy it. And and that is not a movie that can be spoiled. There's gags that people can spoil for you, but there's so much in it that, you know, it's well worth seeing. It's going to sweep the Oscars and 
this is this is you know a crowd pleaser. I will say that that everything everywhere all at once is not even like Parasite. I really like Parasite, but Parasite is a foreign language film. There's a little bit of the the element of Parasite that is a critique of Korean culture that either you're into or you're not. This everything everywhere all at once is something that you you are going to be able to enjoy because it is so visually wild. Anyway, Kevin wrote a expansive review, a a a a, a philosophical breakdown of everything everywhere all at once on theblaze.com, the natural home for a 3000 word breakdown of everything everywhere all at once uh uh <laughs> resolving the battling philosophical nature of absurdism and nihilism of course it's in theblaze.com go read it uh but even if you've seen the movie you'll enjoy it if you haven't seen the movie don't worry we move on from there we eventually touch on at the very end some more tangible you know who's going to win the republican primary conversation but as all of our combos this one goes places i think you guys are going to love it let's go ahead and get into it ladies and gentlemen mr kevin ryan good to be here brother so uh, uh first an apology you i have had <laughs> sitting in my inbox your review of everything everywhere all at once for probably a month and a half if not more uh, uh from the first time that you sent it to me and i had not read it until right before we are recording this uh because i've been buried in other work, but uh, uh, it, it is exceptional. And I want to talk about it to start things off here. When did you see the movie? Did you see the movie back when it came out and and, and you just started uh, and you just wanted to write about it now or had you seen it recently? I saw it when it came out and it took me this amount of time to, to write it, the review. And because I was, it was like, uh, I've been incorporating a lot of ideas I've been working on. Um, and a lot of bigger ideas. And so I've kind of sewed them all together and, um, yeah, I'm working on a book here and there when I can. And, uh, this movie sort of encapsulated everything. So when I watched it, I was like, Oh my God, this is like, this is, a." Uh, and it's, this is like my first movie review. So I was like, well, you know, better, <laughs> better make it really weird. Uh, this is like a great weird movie to do it. Uh, yes. so I might as well choose this one for and, it. And and I do think it's right now a really good time to kind of reintegrate into the discussion about the movie because it's almost certainly going to win best picture. It, it's also, mm-hmm. uh, I was having a few conversations over the weekend, but it, it's the first time I can remember that the movie I liked the most that I thought deserved the Oscar is going to win the Oscar. Not because it's the movie that should, that will win the Oscar because it's the Oscar movie or, you know, the, the blockbuster that's so gigantic. It's undeniable that like you have to give it to it just because it's meant so much to cinema, like they did with Lord of the Rings or something like that. But this is a, a maximalist movie that has that's mm. so jam packed with, with with philosophy, and you do a great job of unpacking it. But here's where I want to start because I think it is the most relevant to our world and our political discourse. Mm-hmm. The thing that I took away from the movie, and I love it because it isn't even anything that you 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 particularly spend a ton of time on in your review, it, it, but you you spend a ton of time on a, a billion other philosophical elements that I didn't even think of. But the thing that I took most from it, 
in terms of why it's a relevant story to us now in 2023 and 2022 when it came out is we feel overwhelmed by everything by yeah. modernity by you know the, the the details and this is a movie that throws details at you constantly you are numb to the point of like there there are fight scenes and choreography <laughs> where there are costume changes for a two second period of time, sometimes for gags, but other times just for the sake of showing that they can. Uh, and the movie takes you on a journey of, okay, well, what happens when you have everything, when you know everything, yeah. when you can see everything, when, when you, when you are plugged into the infinite, which I feel like is a national mood and the, the chief conflict is, uh, and, and I don't think there's a lot that you could spoil with this movie because, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the journey is certainly far more than the destination. But well said. The, the, the central question is, when you know everything, when everything is in front of you, it is easy to choose nihilism. And mm -hmm. yet it is worthwhile to choose love. And it, it is something that I found incredibly hopeful, incredibly wholesome, aside from the fact that the movie can be boiled down to listen to your mother, even if she's wrong. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's, there's something that I found. I was not expecting that a movie that hip to, to steer into what I thought to be a very earnest and wholesome message and 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 that's really what i think took my love for it to 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 the next level yeah that's uh that's a good characterization uh, it's i i think ultimately the our most important fight is the fight against nihilism yes um cuz it's not um um it's not a natural condition for humans it's sort of something that we've intellectualized into our existence like the discovery of fire wasn't followed by the idea that like we need to extinguish all fires like this <laughs> fire is meaningless <laughs> um so yeah it's uh and it's especially like the the, the this like maximalism this totality this yeah. totality of like information uh, and i try to capture it from like a, a few different angles like uh the information bomb that yeah. uh, Paul Virilio talks about, like how it's information is being weaponized. That's kind of a postmodern idea too. like information and technology have been weaponized and they're going to slowly like smother us. Um, also like this, uh, I don't know how much I included in this because, you know, I spent a year writing this thing and like when I hit publish, I was like, I'm not going to reread that. <laughs> I, like, I reread that like 50 times, so I'm not going to do it again, but I, I forget whether or not I put a, an examination of like the different modes of time. So that's one of the things I really dove into while I was reading this. There's a philosopher, Giorgio Gombin, who writes about like the phases of time, like how we, we're sort of moving out of chronological time into apocalyptic, apocalyptic time, but we can save ourselves with what he calls messianic time. Okay. So that's like the, the idea that like busyness is worldliness and we, this doesn't have to have a, a religious connotation. Yeah. Believe it or not. But it, it's this idea of like finding 
the transcendent instead of going with eminence, moving outward instead of like diving deeper, 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 deeper into the self, into the mind. Yeah. Uh, and it's about like achieving contact with the other, embracing ritual, uh, finding joy, finding hope, uh, looking beyond the minutia of the nihilistic minutia of wrong and bad and seeing the the light that needs to permeate or to to penetrate through any sort of darkness. So so let's take this into a more broader context. Do you believe mm. that we are in a nihilistic age or or is just nihilism kind of in 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 favor or or maybe that is just a, a, an example of our uh, uh too online culture uh for and we do need to touch the proverbial grass. Uh one one and three of the things okay. you just said. So I think it's uh, it's not actually happening. And I think it's ver a very online phenomenon. And I think it, it's also uh, something that like the intellectuals have uh, toyed around with and sort of performatively, performatively is like the main thing that I have a problem with. I don't think they believe, and I'm thinking sort of a, like, Going back to Nietzsche, I think he corrupted a lot of, uh, despite his best intentions and in addition to his total insanity, he came <laughs> up with, with some ideas that have been very destructive for society. Um, and it's sort of like this idea of we, we, we sort of believe that we live in an increasingly atheistic society, and it's just not true. It's like the rates of people who believe in some sort of higher power yeah, are, are actually increasing. Like, and it's so what I'm interested in is like, well, why do we, why, why are we thinking that like it's going the other way? Why are we also certain that like, I know like the institution and people talk about the institutions of family and the institution of religion and the various institutions of, as like these collapsing as, as if they're collapsing. And there's this sort of like permanence to this implication that these institutions are collapsing and they're just going to vanish. But it's like, well, maybe they're rebuilding. Maybe yeah. like maybe breakdowns are making them stronger. You know, maybe this is just like a maybe they're shifting. Well, I think to, to, to your point of the popular idea that religiosity is on the decline, a, a lot of it, I believe, is an attack on the the specific elements of organized religion. Like, like yeah, very, very rarely sure. when I talk to and I've spent enough time in, in organized atheism to know that these conversations when you talk about God, what you're talking about is your pastor. What you're talking about is mm -hmm. the mean stuff that happened to you and your family because there you, you did not adhere to the orthodoxy. And so therefore there was punishment meted out on you. Uh, yeah. I very rarely hear about like, like fi on God, fi on, <laughs> fi on the father. I reject the concept of somebody. It, the, the closest you get to it is a humanist approach of yeah. we are undervaluing ourselves. And that's something mm -hmm. that I do find to be optimistic and hopeful and something that in in any of my personal explorations of atheism, those are the stuff that I wind up lingering the most on is like, let's let's not take a religious approach to say that we are 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 uh, incapable of yeah. of something. Mm -hmm. if anything, the idea of connecting to a larger, 
being, what, however you want to fashion it uh, uh, philosophically, is something that should supercharge you beyond what you can naturally do. Like, like how far you can naturally go, it, it should provide, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a DLC, but your main game should be, <laughs> should be what it, what it, what it is. I agree. Yeah, totally. And, and that's, um, that's why Dante put, you know, former popes in hell and, uh, pagan idols in, in paradise. Uh, and that's, that just goes back to the idea that, you know, like each, each of us has, it, we have a responsibility to uh, move toward and take care of the other as best as we can. Other people, other things, whatever we can do to try and improve the world. And that's not a fact. That's just like a super big hunch I have. Um, but ah, I forgot what he's going. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Well, let, let me let me ask you this question. Do you believe that politics is inherently at the beginning of a political story nihilistic. Oh, from the start? Yes. No. So, I don't So so let me let, let me let me let me let me spell this out a little bit. Well, here no, no, yeah. give, give me give me your answer and then I'll spell it out. Oh, I'm just going with like the the ancient Greek Greek idea of like the polis or the I'm not sure how you say it. Oh, sure. It, but yeah, like, okay, spell that out. Yeah. Maybe maybe it'll inform my thought. Uh, just the idea that power is not cannot reside in an individual and that the political community has its foundations and in kind of like they say about the church, like the church is not a, a building, it's a body like yeah. the, the political community, I think or politics is a community like there. There can be communities without politics, although I don't think that's very common, but th there can be no politics without any sort of community. All right, then you have informed me to agree more with my initial uh, thought. Because let me let me lay it out. Oh, for awesome! Right. So let's understand. Happens. Let's understand that politics is community, right? Mm -hmm. And and there are soft politics, but I'm 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 talking about specifically campaigns. We're entering into a presidential mm -hmm. campaign. So let's let let's get our last philosophical thoughts about campaigns out <laughs> before we obsess about the minutia for the next year and a half. <laughs> Every sales job be it for a car radiator to watch a movie to vote for a candidate every time that you are selling something to somebody begins the most effectively begins with you have a problem and i have a solution mm. so therefore the dwelling and i've been watching a lot of these campaign announcement videos but every yeah. campaign announcement video comes in two halves the first half is problems. Look at yeah. what's happening to your life. Look at your pocketbook. The woke left, the hard right, the, the 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 MAGA Republicans, the socialists in the White House, blah, blah, blah. Problem, 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 problem. And there's scary music and, and everything's in black and white and it's flickering and Slender Man shows up, whatever, right? Then... <laughs> It's a sweeping field of grain, like the soaring music. And then, but what I believe is X, Y, or Z solution. Here's yeah. what we need to do both in policy and in personality that we need to embrace family. We need to do this. We need to. And so it's all these elements, but that always means that even in the most optimistic campaigns, even in the ones that are all about 
goodness and 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 love thy neighbor it begins yeah. with the fact that you believe your neighbors are killing each other or are about to kill you and and this is going to be the solution to that so i will ask you the question once again is yeah. nihilism inherently baked in to the political process yeah i see what you mean um that's an excellent point um, i i might tweak it a little bit okay. and Go. say that uh because nihilism as I view it is like, oh man, there's a, this great, I can't pronounce his last name. I'll post it on Twitter. His like, he wrote a book. Oh, or he please. Wrote, a butcher, butcher. I, I, I called Albert Camus, Albert Camus on a, on a, on a podcast and got shredded <laughs> by everybody who has, is $400,000 in debt for, with, with a philosophy degree. So uh, oh, please go ahead and butcher whatever name you'd like. Well, I forgot. I forgot his name. I'll, I'll <laughs> that's fine. I, like, we'll figure it out. I just have the shape. I have the shape, and I'll, I'll blurt it out randomly. But he he made this argument. Well, coincidentally, Camus wrote one of the most impactful arguments against suicide. Um, imagine the myth of Sisyphus, like this idea that you have freedom and responsibility even when you're literally subjected to hell, like Sisyphus was. Yeah. Uh, this philosopher wrote his argument was that you shouldn't commit your suicide or sh you shouldn't kill yourself because it's not even worth it. Sorry, yeah. I'm, dro I'm dropping that. That's fine. I'll, That's I'll fine. stop I'm, dropping I'm, that. I'm not, I'm not editing this. I'm sending it to my editor. So sorry. <laughs> <Okay>. <Brett. laughs> yeah. Uh, so to me, that's that's nihilistic. And I, and I write about it in the context in the Everything Everywhere review of uh walter benjamin's character of uh the destructive character so i see nihilism as not like a starting place it's the idea that there should there should not either not have ever been a starting place but there's certainly not an ending place beyond me right now destroying everything whereas i see like um the salesman metaphor that you gave with regard yeah. to politicians is pretty accurate because that's like i don't think they're nihilistic i think they're trying to make a sale and i i think they're trying i think there's a lot of manipulation involved like the they're they're good or bad they're trying to build power and they're trying to sell us on the idea that it's good power and that there it is going to make greater cohesion so i yeah, yeah. i would say pro probably not nihilistic but there are definitely a few a few I feel like it happens more with intellectuals than it does with politicians uh, because you can, it's, it's like not cool in politics to say like, we should just obliterate the species. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it, 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 it depends. I do, I do feel like we're at a fascinating cultural touchstone moment yeah. right now that the darkness that came with the pandemic and the lockdowns, which I still feel like we are at a place where we're not even really ready to have the conversations about no. what went on. Like that Yo, we, no. are, we are, we are still, uh, you know, I, I don't know if we're going to be the, 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 the greatest generation sitting at the table in, in, in the seventies, 30 years after the war, still unwilling to discuss what happened back on, you know, <laughs> Iwo Jima or whatever. But like, I, I, I do think that right now we're too close to it, but an element of let's understand that our world is malleable. Let's do the right thing. Mm -hmm is something that 
I think we pushed it to a place where there were real world consequences. It wasn't just in a, a more theoretical space. The lockdowns caused economic harm. The lockdowns mm. caused emotional harm. They caused educational harm. Whether or not you were for them or against them, the consequences of them are real. We are now staring that in, in, in the face in the way that is not, you know, famously, the, 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 the lockdown strategy came from George W. Bush reading a book about the Spanish flu and asking everybody <laughs> in his orbit, well, what do we do if this happens? And so <laughs> one of the things that was taken from the lessons of the Spanish flu was keep people away from each other. Try to stem the the, the tide of this. It's not, it wasn't theoretical anymore. We saw yeah. a lot of pain. And I think that that is reverberating in a lot of places uh, uh, in our in our society and our culture. And whether or not it is a rising tide for or against your specific cause, I do believe that there is more of a let's stand up and say our piece as opposed to assuming, well, everybody's kind of got, you know, somebody's thinking about this more than I am. I'll just kind of go along with it. I, I do think that there's a rise of an, an individualism and possibly a, 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 a antigen against fear of the mob. I, I think that there, there might be some of that uh, at play too, but there's no doubt that we are in just, some people are fried by what's happened. Other people are, are, are resolute, but it, it, it feels, it feels like the turning of a tide. Does it feel like a turning of a tide to you? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think uh, it was Aristotle who said that like a tyrant can also come in the form of a crowd. And uh, Hannah Arendt sort of like fleshed that out in her book, The Human Condition, where she just goes through this idea that like, no, yeah, the, the idea of like mob rule is very closely linked to, to like uh, tyranny. And they're both useful. They both yeah. arise out of a need to like, whoa, 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 let's stop everything. We need to stop everything. And like, that's not possible. You know, life is motion. So like, I think politically we stop things for a little while where it's disruptive. And, and even when you try to do that, there's growth. Uh, but I, yeah, I think that like any form of tyranny, it cannot last very long. Like it eventually collapses and it comes out of like a, a like impeccable, not impeccably, but like a, uh, an advanced society tyranny doesn't like emerge from archaic societies. Like, uh, so there's some optimism in the fact that like, Hey, we're doing pretty good. If we're, you know, turning into totalitarian States. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think the other, the other issue that's here that's at play is a, a realization that in our modern world with the democratization of the internet, the old gods and masters are not only gone and they're not only never coming back, but mm -hmm. we are realizing we are closer to their power than we thought. And, and anybody who was like, well, all right, there's going to be a little bit of a shakeup and then all of a sudden everything's going to reform. It, it it won't and and it's not going to and i think that's why we kind of deferred a little bit more to 
popular revolutions or popular notions of thought, even if they felt a little weird to us, even if they were like, oh, okay, well, that might be going a little bit too far, but oh, well, I mean, I guess this is the new, this is how a new power structure starts. And as we're seeing them kind of fizzle out, as we're seeing our elements of populism on the right, that mm. very much animated Brexit, that very much animated uh, Trump's election in 2016, we are now seeing a return to the idea of state power in large part mm. because Trump did get elected. And so all yeah. of a sudden he was in, in charge of state power. And so people were like, all right, well, this did good or did bad. Like, you know, like I, I want now I have opinions of if a Trump gets into office, I want him to do X, Y and Z. And either you believe that Trump has learned his lesson and and or he was perfect the first time and you want him back in there or on the right. You're like, no, I'd like a guy who maybe went to Harvard and Yale, who's, you know, <laughs> is very adept at wielding oh, yeah. state power in DeSantis. Like that is yeah. right now when they go against each other, that's going to be the key difference. Like everyone's like, oh, it's like MAGA versus MAGA light. No, no, no. The key no. difference is going to be Donald Trump is barely competent at running a production company, and Ron DeSantis <laughs> took on Disney. That's that's what that that that's what the the argument is going to be made. Wouldn't you like somebody to competently wield state power? And at the same time, on the on the left, you've had a ton of of of, of revolutions that have come mm -hmm. for not only empires that are on the right, but very specifically empires that are on the left. And you just saw the New York times, which has played the New York times game forever. The New York times hierarchy, like they are done with the popular revolution inside their own hierarchy. They, yeah. they saw a fight over the trans issue uh, a, a few weeks ago, there was a popular revolt and they said, everybody shut up. If you criticize your fellow employees, you're fired. Them, it actually, oh, thank God. them actually uh, putting their foot down on that means that now we are seeing, okay, that was not able to, the popular revolt was not able to <laughs> overtake that state power. Wasn't able to uh, mm. disabuse the right of wanting to use state power, which means now I feel like the sugar rush is worn off. Yeah, no, it, it always does in America. It, it's funny. Um, I was just reason, reading, uh, Robert Nisbet wrote a book called Quest for a Community. And he talks about a lot of things you just, just, you just said. Um, and another, one of his friends, uh, author at the same time was Russell Kirk. He wrote The Conservative Mind. And the last chapter of that book is like brilliant. It's incredible. He just talks about the sort of wax and wane of uh, revolutions and radicalism, especially on the left. And he does this great job of characterizing them as these antagonists whose utopianism convinces us that their ideas will last forever, but they never do. The, the revolution never fully succeeds, at least in America and arguably in other places as well but definitely not here. Um, but it does do a good job of uh, like burning the bark off the trees so that there can be some regrowth and it's painful. And a lot of people drown in the process yeah. and you know, there's a lot of destruction in there. Like you said, there are uh, entire institutions and um, traditions and even monuments that just vanish. Uh, so, so that's like 
that's the that's the tricky like dialectic of uh history um and it's it's so strange to like i so here's a, here's a question i have is this Go. like is the what we're experiencing uh just the the like flow or influx or uh g- like generation of history and where it's like wow this is really intense and i'm involved so it's unique or like uh is is this how things work or are, are we living in unprecedented times we're going to answer that question right after the break TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you need to go if you would like to get more of the PX3 experience in your life every single week. At the $3 level, you get bonus episodes on Monday morning and on Thursday morning. We might not have another free episode this week, but we have already had our Monday episode and we are definitely going to have a Thursday episode. So membership has its perks. A reminder that at the $1 level... You don't get to hear ads like many of you just did on the free version. Let's go ahead and get into some quick hits here, though. Michigan Representative Alyssa Slotkin has made her Senate bid official this week, putting the frontline House Democrat in the likely path to securing her party's nomination and moving on to one of the absolute must wins for the Democrats in an otherwise extraordinarily challenging 2024 senatorial cycle. Let me illustrate that again in a cycle where the Democrats have to defend Montana, West Virginia, and Ohio, they best win Michigan. House Republicans are moving to provide defendants in their January 6th related cases access to thousands of hours of internal capital security footage, a move that could influence many of the ongoing prosecutions stemming from the 2021 attack. This comes after Kevin McCarthy turned over that footage to Tucker Carlson. The caveat being that much like Carlson's team had to decamp to D.C. or at least inside the House so they could review the footage that they would like to get cleared, that they would like to show on television. So the lawyers will have to do for any defendant. This has come under tremendous scrutiny by Democrats who say that the footage that was not shown during the January 6th committee was not shown because it was too sensitive and could reveal security issues with defending the Capitol. The pushback to the pushback is nobody was complaining when Nancy Pelosi allowed her daughter to make a documentary about all this. And finally, Jeb Bush is walking back what many have called an endorsement of Ron DeSantis. Jeb, with an exclamation point, stated that he was, quote, praising not endorsing the Florida governor in a Fox News special entitled Who is Ron DeSantis? There is no argument that Jeb Bush isn't a fan of Ron DeSantis and would probably full throatedly endorse him if it wouldn't hurt Ron DeSantis in the primary because Ron needs to win Trump voters over and Jeb Bush is the opposite of that. By the way, let's take a look here at the rolling average for the nascent Republican primary. 
Marco Rubio, who is probably not going to run, is at 2.5. Haley is at 5.3. Pence is at 6.8. And as we look at our top two, Ron DeSantis still unannounced at 29.2. And Donald J. Trump, 45.2%, a 16-point spread. And those are your quick hits. TakePoliticsSeriously.com, again, is where you need to go. $3 gets you two bonus episodes a week, and a simple $1 pledge gets you no ads on your feed. Let's get back to Kevin Ryan. I believe that we are living in exceptional times in that Every once in a while, and and we will only look back at at, at American history because that's what I know the best, but every once in a while in America, either by war or economy, there is a cultural shift, right? And Mm -hmm. and we have continued to see it specifically since the 50s that culturally that very much moves the needle. You know, the, Mm -hmm. the idea of our culture mattering is something that has been at the forefront of American life, you know, for all, you know, double my lifetime at this point. Right. Mm-hmm. So if that is the case, then what we've seen since we were born is nothing less than the zenith of culture. And then the question of what happens when that Pangea splits, something that has informed my life, uh, uh, tremendously was very early on in, you know, the, the podcast that I do with Brian Brushwood, we had an idea to see whether or not we could get a story on dig.com higher up than it would go otherwise. Right. Mm. And it basically all came down to us realizing, Oh, We've got about 300 people that are watching us on a live stream that we do every Tuesday. If Mm -hmm. all of us hit the button at the exact same time, not 30 minutes away, not an hour away, not a day away, at the exact same time, what is the effect of that on the algorithm that is built to measure popular sentiment? Yeah. So we are replacing a gatekeeper before Mm -hmm. it used to be, well, all right, if enough people buy a record from a shop, then somebody tells a guy who does the ordering and he tells another guy, Hey, I think that there's X amount. And so that guy makes the decision. This is something we want to put more time and effort into. We want to buy more for, and and there it goes. That man is deciding, is this a flash in the pan or is this something real? Mm-hmm. That man was replaced by an algorithm, at least on sites like dig.com at the time. And they didn't know that the algorithm doesn't know if it's a flash in the pan, that it's a bunch of jerk offs that are hitting the button at the exact same time. That that looks exactly like the Beatles to the algorithm, like just a, an overnight sensation that needs to be uh, recognized. Now there are safeguards you can put in there, but we pushed that thing up to the top of dig and it was well something extraordinary. You know, even the conversation that we're having right now, the concept of success and influence is different than how we were taught it. 
You know, like there is, there is part of me that thinks I will not succeed fully unless at some point I have a massive platform, like, like a platform for which everyone I tell says, oh my God, congratulations. Right. And that is not right now. I have a great platform, a platform that pays Mm -hmm. me a lot of money. I love it. Right. But there's a part of me that thinks that I'm sure similarly for a writer, you're Mm -hmm. like, I will not be fully a success unless I publish my great work and everybody reads my great work and says, Oh my God, thank you for contributing to the body of, of work that is philosophy. And yet for not only our peers, but us ourselves to other people and certainly everybody that is growing up right now, I don't believe that's the case because they haven't known those platforms to be the powers that we knew them as. And yeah. so if, if, if that's the case, then yes, we are living through an extraordinary time, a time, a, a, a great uh, a time of division where influence and power is, is changed fundamentally, at, at least for now. Now, eventually we might rebuild the tower of Babel. Eventually we might uh, uh, have our, our citadels where there will be again, people that we trust because it's better when there's somebody saying, Yes and no uh, as a gatekeeper to culture and information. But for right now, it's the Wild West. And the fact that we're having this conversation that people are listening to and people always love when we have this conversation, we are as influential as the columnists that I read that I wanted to be growing up. We are as influential as the authors for which you're like, if I could only uh, 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 get, get a piece of that kind of recognition, we are that it's been atomized. And and just because we believe, well, maybe we can climb this Mount Olympus doesn't mean that the, 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 the dust isn't all over us. We just don't realize it because we can't see it. (laughs) Yeah, that's man. I love that. That's so well said. Um, I would. So I've thought about this a lot too. And um, my, this, what I'm about to say can either be a solution or it can be an addition to what you say, depending on what your initial view is. But in the, the everything everywhere piece, I mentioned this idea that I've been working on of the sacred nobody. And it's it's based on this idea that like um, the the like greatest path forward in an era that's obsessed with fame to the point of atomization and performance and uh, uh, to the point of burnout, like we live in in a society of total burnout, like that's sort of where fame and performance take you. Uh, The notion of the sacred nobody is that like. You're uh, you're beautiful and gifted and your your voice doesn't need to be uh, amplified. You don't need to achieve fame in order to. And that's a little that's tricky for us because it's like, yeah, you know, if I have, you know, X amount of views, if I have this book, if I have whatever, uh, it's a little easier to pay the bills. Um, But it's also like that comes with its own problems so like the idea of being a sacred nobody involves like just uh embracing this sort of uh not self-denial but like a refusal of the like unshakable impulse to be widely known and i think that's like a a sort of a defect of western society that we have this urge 
Whereas like in Eastern society, and this goes back to uh, everything everywhere, there's like atomization, a different kind of atomization is like, is it, is, uh, is the goal. Like here we, we have this idea that like I contain multitudes and I need to let the world know. Yeah. Uh, whereas like, whereas philosophically at least, uh, and within art and entertainment in the East, that, that dichotomy is a little different. Like it's, uh, there's, there's, and I think there's a lot of self-sacrifice in Western society. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that we're a narcissistic society. Cause I, I don't believe we are. Uh, I think we're, we're pretty, uh, optimistic. And I, I think people sacrifice for other people all the time, every day on a daily basis. Um, so it's funny, you, you, your sacred nobody idea, both in the piece and how you described it right here. Compare it and contrast it to the idea of the noble savage. Noble savage. So uh, tell me what that is. I've I've seen it, but I don't know. I couldn't just. Define so the noble it. savage is the is 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 the concept that I think popularly would best be described as, you know, the the uh, uh you know the way that we we understand like Pocahontas or something like that. But like oh yeah, that, that the 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 often white uh, man travels <laughs> deep into the jungle and learns something sacred that's ancient that has been untainted yeah. by modernity. And yeah. I've always kind of reviled the idea, not because I don't think oh, that yeah. people outside of, 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 of a Western society can have value, but rather I, mm -hmm. I tend to always find it to be the kind of birthplace of so much reverse racism. The, the idea oh, the, of, 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 of a further othering of, of the other, instead of understanding a shared humanity, we want to, uh, uh, look at it as as something magical, but that's just another prison that we can put uh, 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 those that we you know uh, don't immediately plug into with. But you know, I think South Park. I remember did <laughs> South Park's take on it was the uh, 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 the the sacred ancients the sacred ancient art of of the white people. So it was like <laughs> drinking Mountain Dew and stuff like that. Like that, that if you, if you flip it on its head, then all of a sudden this is, this is something different. But while I don't, I think I can often be too harsh on the idea. I, I do think that there is this concept of our work, our ethic makes us blind to something. Yeah. And, and there is something that we are missing. There is something in simplicity that we lost and that we are always perpetually looking to get back. Yeah, no, I, um, that idea is very much that there's, um, it's important to distinguish between the two ideas. You're, you're spot on. Cause I think the idea of the noble savage emerges, what was it? The noble savage. Yeah. Noble Sabbath. Okay. So I think that emerges from sort of an intellectualization and deification of mythology uh, and sort of in spite of it's sort of a, an intellectual contrarianism that's very popular, but it's very fashionable. And we all know how fashion works. There's sort of mm -hmm. like a, a totalitarianism to it. There's a need for control. Uh, and it's really even it's funny because the people who are most expressive about I'm unique tend to be the ones who are just like absolutely marching together in step and synchronization. Um, so I, I think, uh, that, that, that drive to deify 
archaic societies as like these these like treasure troves of wisdom and um it's just so false. Like, <laughs> it, it, like it's like, oh, no, you don't have to. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a Muslim. You don't have to be a, a follower of Judaism. Uh, but like those religions have completely changed society in a way that's like, yeah, you can pull little lessons from archaic society, but don't worship it. And then we have a whole evolution from there with like economic systems, political systems, 19th century, like giving us ideas like progress and individualism and like these noble goals and um, uh, just industry, capitalism, the, the ideas of Marx, like the ideas that lead to existentialism, um, like there's a defiance to those all of those ideas that is just to me it's very petty so i i mean like i'm but, but, trying but to do also, a work I, around I, I, those. you you see this on the left as well you know especially when, yeah. when you know for example in in gender ideology there is this idea that it is only a western patriarchal concept that gender or or sex should exist. And if you go back, yeah. you can see in Native American cultures the ideas of two spirits and and like that 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 kind of had this non-binary idea and it was something that we lost with modernity. And and so now we are actually returning to a better way of looking at things if we embrace these old ideas. Now Free pitch to the Daily Wire, but uh, reboot Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, but with uh, uh, two woke progressives actually meeting some of the heroes for which they have based <laughs> ideology on, because uh, uh, I think that that would be a very funny idea, because I don't That'd think that things neatly plug in, and we are at a point where we are thinly, you know, uh, we, maybe this is the point of of our modern turning of the tide, that we have so saturated eating our own that we have yeah. so that we have gone so long on a purity spiral of of deciding heroes and villains and Joss Whedon is the best Joss Whedon is the worst uh uh you know because you have uh, uh, sinned against our 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 morality that maybe there is an idea of okay well what if what if that didn't happen for a while yeah and that that's that's sort of like one of the goals of what i'm like what i want to characterize as like a healthy move forward is this idea that like you know what I, like i'm i'm cool or i'm like I, i'm special each of us yeah. should think that well i'm special but i need to be cool about it like yep. you know I, I don't you know i don't need to start to think of myself as so special that i mistreat other people um I need to be good to other people. I need to, to really try and put some energy and attention into giving them, you know, multiple chances, like, uh, and really trying to love uh, other people. Cause I think um, that that connects us going back to Agamben, like that connects us to the messianic time of like, you know, the, we talk about being present. That was sort of a 60s, 70s. I've taken a lot of LSD. We slow down with yeah. your hands, man. Like, but there's a, there's a next level to that. And it's like the acceptance of the present as something that contains the infinite, the eternal. 
And this like this peace that resides in you when you feel connected to something that's endless. It's a way of achieving the freedom of immortality without the burden of working toward it in a uh, a slavish way. Um, Like this, and language connects us to that. When we listen to to music that we love, and when we dance, like we connect to something infinite and eternal, and and just beauty beyond our comprehension and that that's like such an exciting experience it is it is and and i wonder why it's unique <laughs> right yeah i, I, I wonder yeah, that's why a good point. why it is it is not something it's something we have to work toward we have to take yeah. a moment we have to reflect we have to step back and say Oh my God, what is this life? Well, oh my God, what what am I what am I doing? And you know, you you now have two kids, so I would I would take a guess that partly that is part of it. That that it now it's yeah. like okay, so for whatever gloomy elements that I have to my personality, where I I I you know look down on my journey or or my past or my future, now there is an externalization of values and discipline that I need to give to these, these other people. And so there's just not as many, you know, spins of, of, of the hard drive for, for the, the, the uh, examination of self. Whereas, you know, on the other hand, it's, you're right. Uh, This is a, a miracle. We are living a miracle every second of every day, you know, my old friend Taylor Lorenz, who blocked me on Twitter uh, uh, because I compared <laughs> her to another woman, um, <laughs> but somebody sent me a tweet that went viral of hers, as they are wont to do. But it was a an extraordinarily, even for her, deep dive into pessimism and and yeah. wondering why there is an angst uh, uh, amongst the youth and specifically teen girls. Uh, that that has been acute over the last several years. Yeah. And she just kind of goes into a full embrace of it that, well, why shouldn't they be? Because the climate, because this, because that, because that. And I don't want to attack any of those uh, ideas specifically, but even if we're going to line that up as, as the, the, the new sinister six that is attacking our Spider-Man, <laughs> They're not the original lineup. Like we're dealing with some some lesser tier stuff, regardless of what you believe about climate change and it, and it, it's possible permanent end of society. It's not the imminent threat of nuclear holocaust, which very much permeated the last several uh, 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 decades prior to a, a lot of people being born, including myself. Like, like we didn't know what the threat of, Oh, the, uh, the USSR in the United States might blow us up at <laughs> any moment. Right. Yeah. Uh, th- there's the, the idea of serfdom being born into a, a mm-hmm. life that lasts for 30 years. We don't know, at least in this country, uh, or if it does happen, it's usually by way of something tragic either medically or physically. So like there, there is a, there's the, the best the world has ever been is right yeah. now. And, and yet man, maybe because of we remain more fascinated with what's going wrong. And uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where to take that. 
Yeah. To me, that's the beauty of evolution. Like, um, the, the power of it and the, the truth of it. Like, uh, I mean, if you go back far enough, far enough, it's like there was one cell <laughs> that, that was it, you yeah. know? And there's like, you know, if you advance, there's this beautiful evolution of, you know, away from like the harmonization of our species and, uh, there's some cannibalism in there. There's murder. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then like in tandem with that as you, and those things don't vanish. Those things are still then they're still in there. Like in the, what Carl Jung would describe as like the collective unconscious, like if in the biological sense, like yeah. we are connected to things that we don't, we'll never understand. Uh, but like something like eating disorders are yeah. extremely new. I mean, that's what's incredible to us. Like it, eating disorders have only been around for like 200 years, like uh, like right in line with um, industrial uh, society. Uh, yeah, I was going to say like, probably right in line with the abundancy of food. As exactly. As, yeah. Yeah. Food, food became very abundant. Then we started figuring out ways <laughs> that we could not eat it. <laughs> that's the beauty. That's like the evolutionary beauty of our are very giftedly cognitive species. <laughs> He's, you know, I got a little nephew that has a very rare disorder that they've had to go through a lot of testing and stuff, but it's essentially boiling down to the fact that he's got antibodies that don't exist in third world countries. Wow. Like he, the, in third world countries where you don't eat a lot, uh, this, his problem does not exist. His problem is his antibodies are attacking food. Because wow. there's nothing else that is the problem. And so it is attacking food. And so they are figuring stuff out. And 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 hopefully it, it seems like he is on a road to which they will be able to balance things out. And either through science or or diet, things will get better. But it is, you know, functionally, biologically, he is a trophy to modernity. He is a trophy <laughs> yeah. to our ability to tame a hostile world to settle a wild frontier. Yeah. Uh, uh, now we are, we are producing children that are born into comparatively such opulence, such mm -hmm. uh, 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 ability that we're inventing new ways that we can make this journey interesting for us because otherwise it's too simple. Yeah, that's that's what's fascinating. And the like rate of change is what's incredible. Like it's the 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 what Lorenz said, or uh, also known as lips of TikTok. So uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. No, you <laughs> only one of them blocked point. me, though. So maybe the other one still uh, likes me or she I guess they, <laughs> if they're the same people, then we still have some connection. Oh, it's the mystery. The mystery defense. Um, <laughs> so this, like the thing that she's talking about is obviously very real. Her conclusions are sort of a little, uh, anecdotal, I would say. Um, but it, she's right that there's this spike that correlates the spike in depression, anxiety, cutting, um, in prepubescent girls transitioning, uh, a ton of great books have been written about it just in the last like four years and the uh, invention and spread of the, uh, the smartphone and social media. Like, so there is a connection and just like, and it's similar to eating disorders. It's, it's the same community uh, and it's spiking in a way that's completely unprecedented. It's never happened. 
So yeah, it's uh that's fascinating to me. And so here's like a um another transition. Is it like hopeful or terrifying that we are sort of like handing that off to uh, you know AI or or uh artificial consciousness? Well, let me let me draw a, a very thick line because I do feel like we are at a point for which before I would I would not get all that mad about it. But now I feel like we AI, this is going to be the year of AI. It, last yeah. year was the year of AI. I think OpenAI is going to be one of the biggest companies in the world in the next five years. Uh, uh, I am I am. I think the genie's out of the bottle. It's already here. The, the yeah. only thing that was stopping us was our own thick-headed ability to wrap our head around what that technology meant uh yeah. and and chat gpt unlocked that it went from you know we're still the dumbest coverage that will ever be written are still the idiots who are like hey look i have a whiteboard but wait a minute if i write the <laughs> n-word on this whiteboard then there's an n-word in existence it's like <laughs> no you're the one controlling it so you know the 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 the, the the ding dong at the New York Times that you know got oh, the, yeah. uh, the the Bing uh, uh, chat bot to say that he should leave his wife. I would worry about his marriage. I, I don't worry about I don't worry about the chat bot. Well uh, said. That being said, I don't believe that we are looking at artificial intelligence in the way that we think of it as Skynet or we think of it as. Mm-hmm the villain that Kirk has to outthink, right? Mm -hmm. I think that right now it is very important for us to understand where AI works and how it works differently than our own brain. There is a great, um, a a great article written by Stephen Wolfram, who has been at the forefront of AI for many, many years. It was a couple of weeks ago, but he does a great job of explaining it both on the low end and on the high end. But on the low end, Right now, we are looking at these language models that are essentially just predicting what the next word they should write is. Mm. And the reason why you don't get the same answer every single time is because the creators of these large language models realized that part of the humanity, what we see ourselves in, is that it's not always going with the number one. It's Mm. going with a, a... a little like anywhere between four and seven uh, uh, that, that makes it interesting or exciting. It's not just vomiting up a bunch of information that's in a human. That's boring in, in, mm-hmm. in a computer. It's, it's death, right? So mm-hmm. these feel real because they are, are putting these things out. Now that is not to undercut how important I believe these technologies are and will be. I think that they are going to have, tremendous consequence. And I will say that doctors and lawyers are going to all of a sudden find a lot more common cause with uh, the, the uh, uh, factory workers in oh, Michigan yeah. and the steel workers in Ohio and Pennsylvania, because obsolete, but I mean, yeah, they will be uh, obsolete, obsolete very quickly. You're going to realize what happens when automation comes in and takes a portion of your industry. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it does not matter how hard you worked. It does not matter mm. how much you have bet on this. When it comes, it comes. And it's going to come for us. It's going to come for writers. It's going to come for, yeah. for, for, for podcasters. Now, I tend to think much like Photoshop did not end the world of photography, that mm. it will just mean that we include it in our process 
I do think that, you know, uh, books will be easier to write because you will be able to spit out first drafts faster. Uh, yeah. Podcast episodes will be easier to write because I will be able to have uh, a nine ideas, nine scripts written for me that used to be a person now will be a computer that will spit me out nine things I should be talking about right now. And I'll get to choose. I'll have my own little uh, writer's room. So I don't think that it's going to be devastating, but I do think that right now, at least we need to understand what it is because I don't believe that it is something for which will immediately be a, another consciousness. Now, eventually will we see enough of humanity in this process for it to be indistinguishable from humanity? Probably, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to worry about that right now. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to worry on the, on the here and now for right now. So you're leaning more towards um, a multiplicity instead of a singularity with like where we all get shoved into prison cells by laser gunned robots. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I am very much, very much a, a believer in the idea of the singularity in that I don't believe I'll ever die. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree. feel like that is something for which uh, we made I the deadline, much, didn't we? Like, yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I, I've never found the concept of admitting the finality of death to be interesting or exciting. <laughs> uh, you know, like why not just say you're going to live forever, and then when you when you are wrong, you just go whoops. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that was it. Got that wrong. Hey. Uh, Jimmy Carter. I really enjoyed that piece. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That was uh, nice. It was a fun I, read. I, I really, I wanted to not, I wanted to do a thing on Carter that didn't focus on his presidency. Because yeah, I liked that. His presidency was so reviled and, and, you know, is again, it's, it's, it's a prologue for Reagan and I, and we can tell a Reagan story at another point, but, but when, when Jimmy Carter's dying, you know, I think you got to look at him on his own merits and going through it. A, I mean, the reality of the democratic party being this, this party of fiscal conservatism was fascinating. Yeah. Uh, and, and B, the cut of Carter's brand of outsider is something that, again, Bill Clinton and Buttigieg specifically, I feel like were just huge beneficiaries of it. Like that yeah. the, they have, they, they, they took very much from Jimmy Carter's appeal. Uh, and then, you know, I don't know what, what, a, what an interesting an interesting president though, because like he's, he's somebody that still kind of remained without a party for so many decades. Yeah. Like the Democrats never really fully embraced him because nobody ever really wanted the stink of what happened on him. I, I didn't know the thing about his, like him doing a uh, interview with playboy. And I mean, talk about like, uh, not really having a place even with the Democrats like offending what was it like evangelicals like his uh his yeah I mean that that hasn't happened in a while that a Democrat offended their evangelical base because it's just that's there hasn't really been an evangelical base for a Democrat no 
No. And Reagan ripped that from him. And and it was the kind of stuff mm. that really pissed off other Republicans like Barry Goldwater uh, uh, because there was an embracing of the evangelicals to rip the South away from the Democrats because Carter won the South. I think like the only state that has been won back by a Democrat since Carter in the South have been Georgia and North Carolina. Other than that, it's all been Republican sense. Like, like that, that's that, that was just that Carter was the last one out. The, the East West split. Cause yeah, Carter got the deep cell. I didn't realize this. I'm yeah. glad you included the map. Cause it's like, I hadn't really seen very much of like an East West split where California's red and yep. like the East coast is blue. And as soon as I saw that map, I was like, well, that looks sideways. Like, yep. So did Reagan change that? Yeah, Reagan. I mean, you know, uh, uh, we we went through a few very, very weird elections like that, that kind of jumbled up the map because you had blowouts. You had big, gigantic, hairy blowouts of like, you know, Nixon blew out McGovern and then Reagan did well against Carter, did even better against Mondale. Uh, yeah. So like there there was a lot of very weird stuff that then has settled more recently past Reagan of the kind of meta that we work with now, where now we kind of eat around the edges of like, okay, well, if the Democrats can win Florida, then it's pretty much over. But if the Republicans can win Michigan, then the Democrats really have a hard time. And you have, you know, Nevada and Arizona and everything that are in, that are in play, but, but our modern meta as far as the electoral college goes is a lot more min maxing than it was back then where, where, you know, again, you could have Jimmy Carter win the South and then never again, not since 1976. Yeah. Have we seen a, a, a Democrat win uh, uh, in, in a presidential race statewide in Alabama, for example, is that because of who he was? It was it was a part of the coalition. That was the dying days of the the Democrats counting on the South as part of their national coalition. Uh, the world changed, you know, uh, cities became more of a absolute destination for liberals. Uh, you know, the the evangelical binding to the right was something that, uh, you know, made the Republicans very strong in in those areas. And so I think. In, in part, there was a shifting that that hardened and we're, we're at a point now where there I think there's some question of exactly whether or not there are new fissures in that, whether or not, you know, when Trump won, uh, you know, Wisconsin, Michigan and, and Ohio, Ohio now seems like it's a red state. But is there a. Uh, you know, are, are the cities in Michigan and Wisconsin big enough to overtake the white working class vote uh, if there is a candidate that is running when COVID isn't happening? Right. Like, I think that's yeah. the, the biggest question that we have now in terms of our latest idea of of our electoral map is do we throw out 2020? Yeah. Like. Uh, or do we throw out 2016? Do we just say, hey, look, Hillary Clinton is just a bad candidate. And and maybe, you know, every time that she runs, she creates a new star. Uh, uh, that's that's 
her own fault, right? And maybe a candidate that wasn't Hillary would have never allowed Trump to win. Uh, but then again, I think that the change that Trump brought, be it this election or the next election, is going to be carried forward by people that have a more keen political sense than than he does. He had the revolutionary sense. He did not have the political sense. And I think that we are going to see, you know, if, if Ron DeSantis was president during COVID and you saw it, uh, he would be making changes that people were excited about. Brian Kemp as well. He would not be ranting and raving about bleach, you know, on <laughs> on a mic. You know, that was yeah. a Trump thing because Trump's a revolutionary and he's like going to say whatever he wants. <laughs> yeah, I know. I agree. Yeah, I think uh, I think it'll probably be DeSantis for Republicans. and I think it'll I think we'll have a pretty hard sway toward him. But they, we're still so far out. I don't know, man. I don't know. Trump. Trump's a hell of a drug. Republicans. Yeah. I mean, like, like they didn't vote for him because they liked him. They voted for him because they loved him, you know? And yeah, and that's true. I, I think DeSantis is going to have to very methodically disassemble the love they're going. Yeah. He's going to have to disassemble the the idea of of Trump to beat him. I think if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be him. I don't I don't yeah. see anybody else uh, no. uh, doing it because everybody else comes at him in the way that like, the, the, the never Trump thing, which is just, you know, uh, uh, played out. You know, it's it's something that has kind of been done. Yeah, he he loves that. And there's a battle or there's like a, a just a line of bodies of political careers behind him of people who have tried that and they just keep doing it. Yeah, so I I, I do think uh Ron the Sanctimonious is might be one of his best nicknames just cuz it's, it's Oh, so you're funny. a writer though. I think it's too wordy. I like yeah. meatball Ron. I thought Meatball Ron, Meatball Ron was pretty fun, but apparently he didn't like that. We, we, we found the one ethnic group that he doesn't want to annoy. It, it was the Italians all along. He didn't want to call him Meatball Ron. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know about Meatball Ron. That's hilarious. No, my, oh, my, my thought is, and I said this a few weeks ago, is Trump just needs to say, just totally infantilize Ron DeSantis. Just yeah. say, you want to know what? Uh, uh, I, I like to think of him as Ronald Trump, you know, like uh, my, my, my son, sometimes you might see Don Jr. Be mean to him. That's just sibling rivalry. Like, like he wouldn't much like my children. He wouldn't be around if it weren't for me. Uh, uh, so you want to know what, did you really like what happened in Florida? Great. You're welcome. You're welcome <laughs> for giving you what happened in Florida. Uh, don't worry. Ron DeSantis is going to run for president eventually. I think he'll do a great job. You know, the little bugger, he's getting some good experience trying to run now. But but he is my my child. He he came he came of me. And and so of course you would not want the the lesser of the two. You want the greater of the two. And so uh that's that's what it is. I mean, because I think him going at him and trying to like deny the fact that. Florida had a track record that Republicans like on COVID is that's, that's going against the grain. You know, that's, that's, you know, the people that, that believe in you the most think that. I think I'd say this like versions of this every single time we, we talk on here, but uh, yeah, if he goes with that, 
technique, then I'm buying your drinks for like a month. Because <laughs> uh, that's like so specific. And I think it's right. Like it just popped in my head. And that's the kind of like maneuvering that Trump, he just comes up with. And and it's like the audience is just looking on at this like, oh, my God, he's actually doing it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that that's in his playbook, though. I think it yeah. might be a little bit meta for him to, <laughs> to, to just dismiss him as a child. Yeah. Um, you know, he he's scared of him. You know, he's scared of DeSantis because he rants and raves about him. He yeah. only rants and raves about the people that he's scared of. He was, you know, uh, uh, when he was running in 2016, he was not scared of Jeb Bush. He Poor mocked Jeb. Jeb Bush. It, he That was a, a Rest, first round KO. He was just oh yeah. sleepy Jeb. Rest in peace. Jeb couldn't do anything. Get, all right, move it on. He was mad about Ben Carson. Yeah. He went after yeah, Ben Carson because Ben Carson was leading with the evangelicals in Iowa. So. Yeah. That's who he saves his real ire for. Ted Cruz. He he was yeah, scared of Ted, Ted Cruz. He he went hard on and ugly with Ted Cruz. The big question is going to be whether or not uh uh you know what what happens with with DeSantis, whether or not he goes after his family and stuff like that. Okay. That oh, that's he it. Will. That's it for now. He absolutely will. I cannot wait to see <laughs> Donald Trump back on Twitter versus Christina Peshaw. I've said this before. That's that's the fight I want to say. Uh, uh, Kevin Ryan, you can find your review on everything, every there, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once at the Blaze, uh, which is where your writing appears. And uh, anything else? Yeah, I'll, I'll tweet it out whenever we uh, tweet this out. And uh, yeah, I hope people enjoy it. They will. It's good I'll to make be here, sure brother. See you, man. Thank you so much. See you, brother. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, politics, politics. Written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Our show was edited by Brett Stewart. If you'd like to say thank you to Kevin Ryan for coming on the show, you can go to px3guest.com. Letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. If you'd like to email the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Twitter is px3tweets for the show, Justin R. Young for me. If you'd like to see me live on Twitch, it is px3live.com. If you would like to subscribe to my newsletter, put out a new copy of it this week with a written version of our Carter episode. You can subscribe to that px3newsletter.com and you can share this podcast with your friends, family and clergy at px3podcast.com if you'd like to support us with a one time donation you can do so paypal.me slash payjury on paypal Venmo is justin-young-20 prove to yourself and your paymasters that Venmo money isn't real send me a dollar to prove it in this once in a lifetime experiment Cash app is PX3Cash, and you can send me anything you'd like in the mail. P.O. Box 1531-84, Austin, Texas, 78715. Somebody sent me a 40th birthday card and a piece of political memorabilia that I will treasure. So thank you, thank you, thank you uh, uh, for doing that. And anybody else, if you'd like to send me a gift, you are always welcome. P.O. Box 1531-84, Austin, Texas, 78715. One five. Make sure you make it out to Justin Young because they get fussy at the P.O. box. Of course, 
You can always get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. The $1 tier gets you an ad-free feed. That is four bucks a month. I mean, five every once in a while when there are five Fridays. This is not a lot. And you get no ads in your feed. The $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news that we missed on our free podcasting schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Dustin, Jason, Andres, C. Garcia, El Basso, John, Matt, Craig Potts, MC Dradio, Unsafe DB Levels, Katie, Amanda, Yeo, Pinball Shop, DP4 Bongo, Neemeister, Catherine, Todd, and vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. BA Select Start, Dr. G. Neil, Charles, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Idris Arslandi, and Blue Front, and the Lenina. DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Molly's Dashing Debut. Miranda Janelle, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome. Brad, Richard, just another pilot. Middle aged Mike, who loves Frank, got abducted. Utah, Jimmy Montana, the Gen, A, L, D, L, D, L, D. Really? Chopper, Andrew, and John. Joshua. Thank you. You want to join their ranks? One place to go, takepoliticsseriously.com. One more reminder, if you are, we're trying to, I mean, this will go out midnight, hopefully on Wednesday. If you're listening to this on the day that it is released and you are in the Bay Area, I'm talking to you, SF. I'm talking to you, Napa Valley. I'm talking to you, Sonoma. I'm talking to you, Oakland. Talking to you, Antioch. Talking to you, Sacramento. That's fine, man. It's not that long of a drive. Palo Alto. I need everybody to represent at the Piano Fight Theater Wednesday night, March 1st, 8 p.m. It is We're Not Wrong Live. Myself, Andrew Heaton, the Yankee Doodle Panther himself, and Jen Briney making our paid live debut it's gonna be a good time but as far as this show goes until next time this is your old pal justin robert young saying some shows talk about politics others talk about politics and still more discuss politics we'll see you on wednesday on the free feed thursday on the patreon until next time this is the only show that dares discuss all Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.